0: The very essence of who we are as a people is forged upon the very essence of the Constitution of this great land of ours, the United States of America, which has been founded upon the very principles of God and God's Word. That's why we preach to you this, preach to you freedom, the true freedom that comes when we really understand the very essence of what God wants to give us. It's really uh, really beautiful to watch God move along in our church in our services to bring us at certain points at certain times there's absolutely no way that anyone can contrive what we are going to study today today is the very essence of what god calls liberty the very essence of what god calls the freedom that you and i can have in the person of jesus christ and it needs to be proclaimed to every person to every tongue to everyone that will 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 listen the very wonders of this country in which we live has been founded upon this time that we celebrate the the independence the 4th of July of this great land in which we live may it never never falter from our hearts you know what you know and understand about this great country will be passed on from you to your children and to generation to generation and what we need to do is do the same and we need to do the same with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to proclaim from the rooftops, if necessary, the very wonders of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. As you are turning there, I, I, I want to make a note of what uh, Craig mentioned just a little while ago, and that is the the uh, baptism that we are going to be having August the 8th at the Verhoeven's home. It's... Uh, It's such a glorious day. Uh, If you have been baptized before already, if you already have gone through that process, I still would love to encourage you to come to the Verhoeven's home, to kind of encourage those who are going to be baptized that day. Um, There's time, if you haven't registered, for you still to register if you're planning on being baptized. If not, we invite you to come anyways. There's going to be a great time together. We will have some worship music. We will have a very beautiful setting there at the Verhoeven's home and you'll be able to witness the members of of your church family uh, making a public stand for Christ by being baptized. Um, if you want to know more information you can go online our website for more information. If you need to register please do. But I beg of you August the 8th to, to consider coming and encouraging those who are going to be baptized that day. It's It's a it's a wonderful time. I, I want to I move into a very, very critical place in the Word of God in First Timothy. Last week, Scripture spoke to, uh, against all who would come against God's church, or, or members within the church, that, that would come against it with, say, rumors or hearsay. Paul says, unless an accuser can prove their accusations then we are to stop them, even silence them. Remember, I asked you to be in First Timothy, and I do want you to stay there, but hold your place, but just turn to the right just a little bit. You'll go past Second Timothy to Titus. Look at Titus chapter 1, uh, and, and remember what we said last week. You know, there are two places in Scripture that, that Paul writes to two different men, Timothy and Titus. It is to Timothy and to Titus that Paul calls them uh, my true child in the faith. He loved Titus. He loved Timothy very, very much. And he knew that what he was asking them to do to pastor a church was going to take a, a lot of courage and, and a, a, a lot of wisdom on, on, their, on their behalf. And, 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 he, and he reminds Titus, as he did to Timothy In Titus chapter 1, remember we read last week, verses 10 and 11, he says to Titus, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. They they must be silenced, he says, because they are upsetting whole families. They're teaching things that should not be taught for the sake of sordid gain, Paul writes to Titus. Now how do we do this? How do we silence them? How do... How do we prove that what they are saying is correct? I, I want to give you a, uh, just a short demonstration, if I may. Let's say, for instance, someone comes to me. And I'm going to pick out just Bill. I'm just going to, because he's here, I'm just going to say Bill. But it could be any one of us. But he comes to me and he says, Do you know that, that Bill is doing something very, very wrong? He is sinning. Do you know that? And I can say, No, I don't. He says, Well, let me tell you what he's doing. And I say, Wait, wait, you know Bill, right? Yes. I do too, I would say to him. I, 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 won't, I don't want to hear what you're going to tell me about Bill because what I want you to do is to tell it directly to Bill. So I'm going to make an appointment. I'm going to get with Bill. and I'm going to get you and Bill and myself together. And then I, I will allow you to tell Bill what you're about to tell me. And invariably, I'm telling you, I've done this. Almost every single time, if not nine out of ten times, that person will say, Well, no, 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 I, I don't want to bother. I don't want to go to it. If you don't want to hear, you know, and da, 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 da. And they just start backing up like Michael Jackson doing that moonwalk. Because the truth of the matter is, they don't want to confront really sin. They don't want to help another person. They just want to gossip. They just want to tell you hearsay. They just want to feed some sort of a, a flame for whatever reason they might have. And I can say to you, if anyone is doing that to you about anyone, you need to stop them. You need to to make sure that the accusations that they are making are are true. And the way to do that is to bring it to the person that they are accusing. So I would encourage that very much within each of our lives. Now please, let's turn back to 1 Timothy. Let's see why this place in Scripture is so critical for us now on Independence Day. This day that, that we... Fight for and have our freedom as a people. I want to start reading, if you don't mind, with verse 6. Now, I know we've already studied verses 6 and 7, but I want to take a look at verse 6 to verse 11, if you would, with me, just to kind of get what Paul is trying to say to Timothy. He says in verse 6 Some men straying from these things, these things are written in verse 5. Love and, and a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. These, some men are straying from these things and they've turned aside to fruitless discussion. Wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. He says in verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. For those who are ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane. For those who kill their fathers, or mothers, and are murderers. For immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to To the glorious gospel, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, Paul writes, with which I have been entrusted. I read that, folks, and I want you to know what I think you already know in your heart. We have all been entrusted with this glorious gospel. This glorious gospel that we have been entrusted by our most blessed God has given you and me the privilege of being ambassadors for the name of Jesus Christ in the communities, in the homes, in the families, in the society in which we live. God has given you and me that great privilege of carrying on the gospel of Jesus Christ from generation to generation. And so Paul is is saying i want, i want to I want to i want to call you as i have been called with this great and glorious gospel that has been entrusted to me and now it's been entrusted to us the church let's pray father in the name of our lord and our savior jesus christ the one who has given each of us true true freedom freedom from our sin, freedom from the very essence of, of a place called hell. Freedom, Father, what this great country is built upon, a Constitution by godly men who, who who sought after your guidance when they forged the very essence of what this country is all about. I pray your blessings upon this country in which we live. I pray your blessings upon this faith in which we have this church that you have given us. I pray, Father, your protection upon all. I pray, dear Father, that I would be able to explain the very essence of what is taught in these these verses, that you would move me aside, that you would allow, Father God, the very presence of who you are, the very Spirit of you, the Holy Spirit of God, to come and, and, and have his way within each of our hearts so that we might hear directly from you, dear Father, not from the speaker. Move me aside. Open up our eyes, dear Father God, that we might behold wonderful things written within this, the law of God, the Bibles that we hold in our laps. Teach us, dear Father. I pray in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. In verse 7 Paul gives a, a warning. He's talking about those who want to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand it. They don't understand that what they are saying or what they're making confident assertions about are are not necessarily true. He's laying it, Paul is laying it on the line, making it clear that there are some who teach error, and they do it with assurance. They reject the very word of God, the law, and actually do not understand all that they are talking about, James, in James chapter 3 verse 1, don't need to turn there, but if you want to later, you can't even now, but James says, Let, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. I want you to know that this verse, James 3 1, it gives me cause to, to shudder. It says, don't let many of you desire to be a teacher, because you will, if you're not careful with what you're teaching, you will will receive a stricter judgment. To the one who really understands the role of a a teacher, understands that it's not a place for the proud. It's a place for someone that, that wants to make known the very word of God, not my thoughts. You know, I mentioned to you last week, if you recall, that it was one of the most difficult messages that I've, I can remember having to give in church. And the reason being, it was very, very personal to me. At that moment in time, it was a very personal message. It, 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 it struck home at almost every level of who I am, and and I I kept asking God, God, please get me out of this. And and I, I I stopped during the week, and I didn't get the message done until midday Saturday, which normally I'm through by Thursday. But I couldn't couldn't get the thought out of my mind that it was personal, and I didn't want it to be personal. I wanted it to just be the truth to be expressed through the Word of God. I've told you this before. It, you're really not my audience. When I speak, I love you I love you so much that sometimes if I wish that I could say this with sincerity. I cannot. I, I would, at times I feel like I would give my life for you. Now I know that's, that's a lie. I know if the time came, I'd say, oh, no, no, not me. But I would love to think that I have the courage, that I love you that much, that I would give my life for you. There's times where I sense that. And I love you more than life itself. I truly do. But, I, but you've never, ever been my audience. Never. When I study, when I preach, when I preach on the weekend, I always preach directly to God. I, I talk into Him. And, I know, and then I allow Him to do whatever He wants with this message. And some of you will come and say, Boy, did you, you must have known me. You must have known what I was going through. Were you, were you aiming that message right at me? And I'll say, no, I wasn't. I was aiming that message right at God. And then God will take the Word of God and He will do it as He wishes within your life. Then He'll move upon your heart. And that's what teaching the Word of God is all about. It's it's expressing back to God what He has taught you so that He can unleash from heaven His Word to minister within your life. And so that verse of let not many of you being a knowing you will incur a stricter judgment is, is, is real to me. I, I get it. I, I understand it. Now Paul wants you and me to know in verse 8 that unless you get the wrong idea about the law, He hastens to add, well, we know that the law is good if, he says, it is used lawfully or correctly. Now, the word good there is critical to understand because it doesn't necessarily just mean good. It really translates in the Greek, K-A-L-O-S, it really could have been translated that the law is useful. That's the word, useful. Why is it useful? Because the law, this that we study here, this is what we open up our hearts to hear from every week. This is useful for you and for me because it reflects the very will of God. The psalmist said it the best. In Psalms 19.7 it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores your soul. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, it makes wise the simple. In other words, this will teach us. It will teach us the things of God so that we might understand the very will of God within our own lives and how God wants to use our life. This is useful. It must be taught in a proper manner though. Useful. Paul is condemning those who desire or want to be teachers of the law, but who teach false doctrine. Paul was not condemning the law, but rather he was condemning those who missed the point of the law, who, who taught it incorrectly. You see, the law serves a purpose. And I'm not sure that all of us, here in this room even, understand the complexities of the Bible First and foremost, God did not give you and me this as a means to salvation. God did not give you and me this as a means to salvation. This was given to you and me to condemn us and to reveal to us that we are a sinner and in desperate need of a Savior. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know it. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the grace of God. That is a truism. And to to go to a church that teaches you're okay, don't worry about it, you're fine, is is to misconstrue everything that's written within the Word of God. If you read the Bible and you feel good about yourself, stop reading it for a while. Ask God to to give you understanding because the Bible has not been written so you would feel good about yourself. The Bible was written to condemn you and me, to reveal that we are sinners. You see, under the law, under this, the Bible, the best person in the world is absolutely condemned. But under the gospel, the very essence of who Jesus Christ is, the worst person in the world can be completely justified if he will just believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is what? It's death. But, but the free gift of God is life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we are to understand what we are reading in here, and someone to preach it and to say, you're okay, don't worry about it. Oh, just walk forward, accept Christ, you'll be fine. It's a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. We are to live a life that that, that is a, a daily walk with Christ, that we love and and walk with Him as our Lord and as our Savior and we recognize that we are in desperate need of Him because all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the law was not made for a righteous person. If, if any of us think that we're righteous, that, that is without sin, then we'll never have a chance to be saved. Why? Because we'll fail to understand the true use of the law. When Jesus came, in in Luke chapter 5, and verse 32, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous. He says, I've come to call sinners to what? Repentance. To repent. Change your way. Note what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Read with me verses 9 and 10. Paul says we must realize the fact that the law was not made for a righteous person. The law was made for those who are lawless and rebellious. The law was made for ungodly and sinners. By the way, these are couplets. They belong together. Lawless and rebellion belongs together. Ungodly and sinner belongs together unholy and profane belongs together, as I'm going to explain to you in a moment. And also for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. And so the purpose of the law is clear. It's to show those who are willing to, to finally look at themselves, deep within themselves, and see that they are a sinner in the desperate need of a Savior. That's why the Bible has been written. Can you turn back with me? Hold your place in 1 Timothy and turn to Romans. It's, you'll, you'll go past you know, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, and, and second and 1 Corinthians, and you'll find Romans. Look at Romans chapter 3. It's really good to understand this place in Scripture. Again, the writer is Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, as you well know. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 now, he says, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. It speaks to them so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Wow. Wow. All of us accountable to God? Yes, that's what the Bible teaches. Verse 20, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law will come the knowledge of sin. That's why the law has been written. As you're moving back to 1 Timothy, go back to Galatians chapter 3 for a moment. Stop there and I'll I'll meet you there in a moment. Listen while you're turning. God proclaims that everyone everyone is in need of a savior. And the word of God was written so that you and I would understand that that's the state we are in. We need that understanding. Galatians 3:24 Therefore the law has become what? our tutor, in other words our teacher. To do what? To lead us to Jesus Christ. That's what has been written within these pages. Within this book, whether it be Old or New Testament, it is a leading us towards the Savior of this world, Jesus Christ. And the words that are written in here are to condemn us. Because apart from God's way to salvation, there is no other way but through Jesus Christ. And so the Bible leads us to Jesus. That's what it's about. And so read again with me, Galatians 3.24, The law has become our tutor, our teacher, to lead us to Christ. Why? So that we may be justified by faith. That's what it's about. Faith, faith upon faith upon faith is what brings you and me salvation. The law is morally right. The law is good. But the law alone is not good news. Therefore the law must be taught properly. So that we understand what does God expect of us. Look again at verses 7-8. Are you back in 1 Timothy chapter 1? Look at verse 7. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. We know that the law is good if it is used lawfully. You see, the law forces us to recognize the bad news. And that is that we're all guilty, every single one of us. We're guilty of violating God's standards. And therefore the law condemns us, sentences Sentences us to hell. You see, a sinner cannot, cannot be saved by good works. It's impossible. You know why? Because we are unable to p- perform any good works apart from what God does in and through us. It's, it's, it's not a part of us. In, in Romans 8.8, 8, Paul again writes, Those in the flesh cannot please God. Those in the flesh cannot please God. To foster the idea that in and of yourself you can please God, I can please God, is absolutely contradictory to the Word of God. You see, it's impossible to please Him because you and I cannot meet His standards. The only standard that we can meet is we meet God at the cross. And we come to the cross and we fall down before the cross and we accept the death and the life and the penalty and the resurrection of the one who went to the cross and shed his blood for our sins. And it is through faith upon the one who is upon the cross that you and I have righteousness. But the Bible is clear to teach you and I have no righteousness in and of ourselves. We only have the righteousness of Christ living in and through us. Now here's the contradictory of the Bible. Good works cannot produce salvation, but, on the other hand, salvation can produce good works. We can do good things because of being saved. You and I are not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. We studied it. Look again with me at Ephesians. Turn back. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians. We studied it just a while ago. It says in verse 8 of chapter 2, most of us should know these verses, should know them at least by heart. If not by heart, then have the general idea of what it's saying. Verse 8 of chapter 2 of Ephesians says, For by grace, you and I, grace is God's unmerited favor. By grace, you and I have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, because it's not a result of anything that we can do. It's not a result of work, so that we won't boast. And then verse 10, what a great verse. Look, we are God's workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, note, God, not us, God, prepared beforehand so that we would simply walk in them. The reason I preach is not to win favor with God. No, I won favor with God by the grace of God when I, by faith, trusted Jesus Christ to wipe away my sin. That gave me as much favor as I'll ever have before God. I come to God on the righteousness of my Savior. But because He loved me so much, I want to express back to Him my love. It's it's my genuine desire to to do what I do, to give back to Him the gift that He has given to me. It's it's my expression of love to my God. And I don't do it for any favor. Listen, a person that's not saved and is an eloquent speaker could speak forever and ever and ever upon these words, and it will do them no good until they come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. And then once they come to that realization, then as you learn and grow in your faith, you'll want to give back to Him a portion of this love that He has given to you. You and I are His workmanship You and I have been created in Jesus Christ for good works. And God, God has prepared these works for us just so that we would walk in them. So, what do we know about the law of God? We know that the law is good if it is used lawfully. You see, the law reveals the will of God. The law says that God is morally excellent. The law says that God has moral conduct that you and I are to follow. But the law, Bible says the law is not good for you to obtain salvation. That comes through understanding the law and understanding who you are so that you would fall upon the cross of Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. The law cannot save a sinner, but it can correct, correct him and reveal her and him as a sinner. That's the purpose of the law, to lead us to Christ, as it said in Galatians chapter 3, and verse, what is it, verse 20 or 34, 24, it says, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now what Paul does is is to illustrate the type of people that need this Savior of ours. He takes his cue from the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments in the Ten Commandments are are sins against God. The last six are sins that we do against one another. And so in verse 9, Paul points out lawless. Lawless describes those who have no commitment to any law or any standard, which will lead them to become rebellious. The second set is unholy and sinner. An unholy person is someone who lives with God, without any regard for anything sacred, and that will lead a person into becoming a sinner. They live without regard for God's law because they have no regard for God. I've known many of people like that. The third set is unholy and profane. You see, an unholy person is someone who is indifferent to what is right. They're indifferent to God's standards. They have no duty to it. They have no desire to live for His standard, which leads them into becoming profane. And trample on what is sacred. You see, verses 9 lawlessness produces rebellion, ungodliness produces sinners, and unholiness produces profanity. Those three couplets deal with sins on the first part of the Ten Commandments, Numbers 1 through 4. They deal with our relationship to God. The rest of the sins that Paul mentions in verses 9 and 10 deal with our sin against one another. It says in verse 9, those who kill their fathers and their mothers. It's an obvious violation of the fifth commandment in Exodus 20, 12. It says that we are to honor our mothers and our fathers. Those become murderers is a violation of the sixth commandment. It says you shall not murder Verse 10, immoral in homosexuals. Literally, the word homosexual there in the Greek is A-R-S-E-N-O-K-O-I-T-A-I-S. It is males in the marriage bed. It violates the seventh commandment, which forbids sexual activities outside the bonds of marriage, which is purely this, either adultery or fornication. If you're married and you have Sex outside of the marriage bed or out of, outside of your partner, that is adultery. If you are single and you have sex with anyone, it is called fornication and both are wrong. In verse 10, the eighth commandment forbids stealing. In light of that, Paul mentions kidnappers. You might wonder why kidnappers. Well, when this was written in this day, kidnapping was the number one offense in that nation at that time. And Paul mentions kidnappers, which was a Capital offense in, in the Old Testament in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 24. The ninth commandment in verse 10 is, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, which condemns liars and perjurers. And then to make sure nothing was omitted, Paul adds in verse 10, He says, And everything else, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Paul ends with the verse that kind of I started with for you and for me. He ends with verse 11. It is is an incredible, wonderful verse. It is one of those verses that is unique to uh, this letter and the letter to Titus. Paul is writing to these young preachers and he says to them, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. That's a wonderful way to explain what you and I have been given. You see, as all of this filters down to you and me today, you and I have been given this wonderful privilege as well. We are to represent the Lord in everything that we do, all that we are. It is your privilege, my privilege, it is our privilege to live our lives as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Some of us will speak. Others of us will do good things. It, it's, it's, it varies. God will use every single one of us so that His name might be glorified in this community, in this world in which we live. God has given you and me freedom today, folks. Freedom in this country in which we live. Freedom within our hearts to be at peace with God. But he condemns those that would teach the Bible incorrectly, that, that, would, that would give you any kind of inclination that you're okay, you're a fine person, you've done good things. No, the Bible condemns you and me. Condemns us under the very weight of what is written within its pages to allow us to know that we are condemned Apart from our Savior, we have no hope. You want true freedom? Don't trust in the things that you do. Trust in the One who was nailed to that cross. Trust in Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That will set you free. Anything and everything else we do after that is just an expression of our love to God, as He will take the goodness of your heart done because of who Jesus Christ living within you, and He will He will multiply it. Father, we come before you on this this wonderful holiday, this celebration of our independence, our our celebration of freedom, and and Father, as was noted in that wonderful video that. Uh, was, was given to us by Craig. Um, that video expresses the very essence of what our Constitution stands upon and that is the very person of who you are and your son Jesus Christ. People are trying to tear apart this country of ours and the Constitution in which we stand and trying to reconstruct it, transform it I guess they say, or change. We don't need that change. This is a great great country in which we live. We need to just get back to the very foundation of who we are. And for those of us who know you, Father, we don't need to do more to make you love us. You already love us as much as you possibly can. You've given your son. How much more love can anyone expect? No, our our doing for you, Father, is just an expression of our thanks. Our thanks for your kindness that we love you back in return in this small fashion by serving you the best we know how. Father, thank you so much for these people. I love this church more than I can tell you. You know, Father. I love each of these people deeply. I pray your blessings upon us as we go and celebrate this weekend. And Father, I pray your blessings upon us as we consider your Son, without whom we have absolutely no hope. For the Bible teaches that we are sinners in need, desperate need, of a Savior. So for those of us who know your Son, Father, for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, May we demonstrate our love in return to you by serving you the best we know how this day and every day that you give us breath. And thank you, Father, for, for your kindness. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you all very well, very much. Have a very wonderful fourth, and I'll see you next week, Lord willing. God bless you. Have a great day.